Hi everyone, Lucas Werner here. If you've been enjoying these conversations about art and culture, you might want to check out the newest releases from David's Werner Books, where we've published award-winning titles on Diane Arbus, Yayoi Kusama, and Carrie James Marshall, in addition to Ekphrasis, the critically acclaimed series of texts on art. This season, look out for books from the likes of Catherine Bernhardt, Noah Davis, and Marcel Zama, as well as new additions to the beloved Ekphrasis series. Visit davidswernerbooks.com to learn more. Hello, I'm Amalia Oldman, and I'm an artist and filmmaker. Hi, I'm Maggie Lee, and I am a video artist. From David's Werner, this is Dialogues, a podcast about artists and the way they think. I mean, I see it all as, as an art form, so I don't make these distinctions between like, this is art, this is film, but a lot of people do. So I feel it was very important to, to maintain that sort of connection with the work uh, from previous works instead of like being like, oh, this is like totally different, you know? I had to just work with what I had available at hand. Like if I didn't have a camera, I would just write down my thoughts and feelings and just in the end, it was all collage and putting it together. I'm Lucas Werner, and every episode features a conversation. We're taking artists, writers, philosophers, designers, and musicians, and putting them in conversation with each other to explore what it means to make things today. This week's pairing, Amalia Ullman and Maggie Lee. I was able to speak to these exciting young artists together last year on the occasion of the release of El Planeta, Amalia's film starring herself and her mother as a mother and daughter team of grifters in Gijón, Spain, where Amalia is from. Neither she nor her mother are professional actors, but Amalia's first feature film was a critical hit. It's stylish and funny, and it brought the provocative experimentation of Amalia's art making into a Hollywood context. She's the latest in a growing list of visual artists who have transitioned into feature filmmaking, and that includes Maggie Lee. Maggie works across all manner of media, including video art, film, her 2015 debut movie, Mommy, a profile of her own mother after her devastating death, had a buzzy run when it was exhibited at the Whitney Museum in 2016. Like El Planeta, it fuses the language of video and net art with traditional movie making. I thought to begin with, since we're really talking about your film, El Planeta, you could take us a little bit through the making of it, sort of when it was made, how, how it was made, because it's very, I mean, it's quite contemporary as a piece of art, but also has elements that are very old fashioned is the wrong word, but that are very specific to other periods. I guess everything started um, around 2018, sort of like the the idea um but of course i had been like work like my art practice in, incorporates a lot of elements from filmmaking but like in separate ways so this was an easy transition to go from that to like make a feature film and just like put everything together so yeah it started around that time it was thanks to a friend that i met in in beijing uh who's in the film as amadeus uh chenjo He's an artist turned filmmaker, and he made it seem very easy to make a film. And he really encouraged me to to make a feature film. And he was pretty much the first person to to make me feel that way, you know, that because everyone else was like, "Well, you know, you need to go to film school. You need to learn all these other things." Would you say that that's true? That you feel like you 
don't need to go to film school to make a feature film as an artist? No, for me, it was very easy, but only because my practices were really linear and very narrative. Right. So for me, it was kind of easy to to jump into that mode. Um, but um, I think you just have to really love film and watch a lot of films. I mean, it's like making art. I mean, some people don't need to go to art school. I mean, no one really needs to go to art school in a way. That is true. Um, that is true. You go to meet people and stuff, but it's not like you like learn something that you wouldn't have learned otherwise. And, and, and Maggie, your film, did you feel similarly about making your film Mommy? Um, I felt like it, I was ready at that point to do something apocalyptic, like because my life at that time was really apocalyptic and I had nothing to lose. So I felt like this desire to make this film and it just came out of me in this way. But I was just trying to emulate like some kind of high production movie with what I had. And I felt like it just came out the way it did. When you say your life was apocalyptic at the time, can you say more about what that space was that was generative for this? Like my mother had just died and like in Amalia's movie, like she had the life in the city as an artist with friends and just having to leave everything you know and love and go back home and deal with like the realness of everything. It just seemed like the end. I mean, I was really interested in that crossover between both of yours that there's this the artist living in this sort of fictional world of art making and, you know, even sort of petty thievery in, in, in your film of mine. And then of course the reality or the dates or the world in the outside world. And then of course the reality of home life, of the kind of doldrums of everyday existence. It was that sort of thematically uh, present in your conceiving of the film, Amalia, or was that something that sort of emerged naturally as these characters, mother and daughter bumped against each other? Well, first of all, the the characters were based on like um, like a real life scammer duo. Um, so in that sense, the little petty crimes, whatever, was like based on on that. But like um, the idea of them, uh, the showing these months, these two months before them getting evicted, was uh, based on my own experience losing my own home. Mm. And I was rewatching Maggie's film yesterday, and that's like one of the moments I like like resonated so much it's like the dealing with the loss of a home and like all the memories and like getting all those memories dispersed and like uh and it's um it's a very specific feeling because you feel very alone because <laughs> you don't have like a home or to go back to or something you know you just have to deal with getting rid of it uh very early like people tend to go through that later in life yeah. uh not in your 20s yeah. so yeah. Yeah, I guess I was like always sort of intentional to deal with like sort of loss or gradual loss, especially when you like have some time to like pack or anything and you see it coming and you can't do anything about it. Mm -hmm. uh, and you just have to, I don't know, go, go with it. Get it, just get evicted. Um, okay, can, can you, yeah. you don't have to, but I'm curious if you would talk about the real world parallel because it, it definitely feels like obviously your actual mother plays your mother and you play this character who is having a real life experience i was interested in it only in terms of the as in the acting i was yeah i was interested in like in that but also in like a realistic portrayal of the the mood 
during that time before getting evicted, you know, which I didn't really get seen portrayed very well uh, in most movies about situations like that. They tend to be very dramatic or anything, but you have to take into account that these things happen during kind of like a long period of time. So not everything is dramatic. And like there's moments where like you do sit down and read a book, you know, because like you can't be like crying for the whole two months. Um, so I think the idea was to really reflect that sort of situation in a more realistic way uh, with the ups and downs that comes that come with it. Um, so I think, yeah, that, that sort of the real experience was more used for the acting than anything else, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah. Maggie, I was going to ask a follow-up question, which is you said in, in Making Mommy that you were trying to make a kind of make it look like a high budget, um, you know, Hollywood film with the least real production behind it. I, I, just on a technical level, how did you do that? I had to just work with what I had available at hand. Like if I didn't have a camera, I would just write down my thoughts and feelings. But in the end, it was all collage and putting it together mm. in the way that made sense, I guess, was just a way of having the story all in one place. And yeah, I just wanted to praise Maggie uh, in this film because um, I I watched it many years ago and I, I really loved it. And, and what I like so much about it is that because you're an artist and I really, really like your video art. And I feel like that was used as a language instead of a decorative element. And which is something that I see in a lot of bad film, like you know, movies from like the film world that try to incorporate more like artsy aesthetics or whatever, but like fail at that and feels like a unnecessary add-on. But in your case, because that's your language, like it's like edited and weaved within the narrative of the film and it works so well because nothing is superfluous. I mean, that's how it feels. Like everything, every little gift or speaker or anything, it feels like it needs to be there to tell the story. It's amazing, Amalia, that it was so seamless, the transition into filmmaking. And it certainly feels that way. The the film feels quite effortless watching it, right? It doesn't feel uh, labored, your film. But can you take us a little bit through just the the nuts and bolts? Like, did you, I mean, what was the production like? I don't know. Similarly to Maggie, I kind of worked (laughs) with what I had and try to make it seem like Hollywood production. Um, our budget was super tiny, but I was really lucky that the, the crew, we were only, there were five people only, Wow! uh, but everyone was very talented. So I really, like, everyone did like a very great job, especially, uh, I mean, not especially because everyone did, but the photographer definitely did, um, a great job with the little that we had because we were working with the black magic pocket and like, he just was very good at selecting which lenses to use and like, how mm. to make it look the best. Uh, the black and white was a choice that is budget related to because the light in Rijon is very bad. Mm. Um, it's like somewhere like Brighton or something. It's always gray and gloomy. So to color correct something like that, it's hard and it would cost a lot of money. So black and white was a safer bet to make it look good with the, yeah, with a limited budget that we had. Plus also it's a reference to... You know, a lot of movies that were inspiration for the film, a lot of pre-code movies, mm-hmm. which is 
uh, a very intentional element of the film because I work a lot with templates and this film was like a very European film and I don't know, like the idea of European cinema is nouvelle vague. So I guess I was like incorporating that as a sort of template itself, mm-hmm. um, as much as the PowerPoint transitions that I use or things like that. So on a conceptual level, that was intentional to, to, to use that. I was going to ask about the PowerPoint transitions because of course they, while they thematically align with the idea of a templated film, right? Whether the template is, is the new wave or PowerPoint layouts. They are, of course, feel very American. You know, if you have a European style, PowerPoint templates do not feel European to me in the least. Yeah. So I'm curious if you thought about those kinds of tensions. I shouldn't use the word PowerPoint. <laughs> I mean, I do make PowerPoint videos, uh, but in this case, it's just the transitions that come with the software. Um, so with Premiere, right? Got it, got it, got it, got it. So, so yeah, so in this case, it was more like, I always like use being a bit tongue-in-cheek with uh, this use of like software and stuff and kind of I like using what's readily available like right there and like these transitions are like the ones that are like in the software mm. but no one uses it. <laughs> um, so yeah, I think that was that was like the only, um, I mean not the only one but like a very specific reference to my work that mm. I took the liberty to adding to the film even though a lot of people thought it was a bit too, like, crazy. Because <laughs> uh, I feel like film world is, like, very, like, uh, more, like, stiff and harder than video art or whatever. Like, every little thing is like, oh, my God, can't do that. Like, oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's just, I think there's so much concern with verisimilitude, right, with not breaking the fourth wall so that you really are immersed. That the minute you do something like that, you are calling attention to the fact that this is a made object, right, in the same way that, Maggie, your editing on some level is drawing attention to the deliberative process of putting something together as an object, as opposed to the kind of like the immersiveness that Hollywood is after, where you're supposed to forget that you're looking at a made thing and have an experience. And and I think both films have these, have that ability to both produce an experience that's felt, right? There's genuine kind of pathos and also an awareness of someone constructing something. I think that's actually hard to pull off. You know, I mean, that's what you're saying about Hollywood or the film world, Amalia, that it's like that, that second tier awareness is not of, of particular interest to most of the film world with the exception of probably a few directors, you know. I was thinking of Amalia's film, um, art video fire Walker Rover. It was like a PowerPoint work. I love how seeing like the past works over time and it kind of comes together in this film like there are little inside jokes with bob and like the black and whiteness of it like i just like seeing her work evolve and then it just comes together in this film and it makes so it's cool yeah yeah well i thought that was a very important to, to do that because people, I mean, I see it all as a, a form of, as an art form. So I don't make these distinctions between like, this is art, this is film, but a lot of people do. So I feel it was very important to, to maintain that sort of connection with the work uh, from previous works instead of like being like, oh, this is like totally different, you know? I, I was going to ask, you know, what we haven't really talked about is talked about you as the auteur the director and the writer of the film, but also you're a performer. I mean, you're the main performer in the film. And 
like you said before, performance has been part of what you've done. I mean, in a funny way, that very now famous um, Instagram series that you did and other pieces as well, video works. Was it hard to transition into sort of full performance? And were you directing yourself actively? What was that kind of conversation like with yourself, as it were? Um, it was tough. <laughs> um, I mean, just because it's, it takes so much work and it's so draining for, I mean, I, I'm okay doing it, but it's like, I'm not like, um, a natural actor. I, I, I rather, what I do naturally is produce and direct and write and, you know, the, I'm not like dying to be in front of the camera, really. It takes like more of an effort for me. Um, I did, I did take acting lessons uh, before making the film mm -hmm. just to make, I just wanted to make sure that I worked as hard as I could to make the film to not be this, you know, disappointed afterwards or like hope I had, like, you know, oh, I wish I could have like worked harder or something. Uh, we did the most we could do. My mother also took some, some, some lessons. What were some of the, what were, what were some of the key, I'm always curious, what were the key like takeaways? I mean, in a funny way, what can one be taught in, in a short term? Like, are there things that, are there specific tips? Because you both oh, seem yeah. quite relaxed in front of the camera, I, I felt, for not, for non-experienced yeah. actors. Well, I feel like my mom is definitely <laughs> relaxed in front of the camera all the time. Uh, she's more of a natural with that, um, more than me. I, I took really intense classes, um, with a really psychotic teacher in Los Angeles, um, that is, yeah, it's like method acting and stuff. The problem for me was, uh, I always worked on my own. So I think the preparation was to be able to work with a crew. Mm -hmm. That was my biggest, um, sort of like mm -hmm. stepping outside of my comfort zone. Cause I don't mind doing like a lot of crazy things in the comfort of my bedroom on my own with a tripod, you know, it's like a different. But once you have a crew around you, that's, that was like, I think the learning curve for me was to, to have that responsibility. Uh, thankfully I had a really great assistant director, uh, Carmen Roque who also helped me produce on set and everything. And, uh, it was a great feeling because I knew I could trust her. So when she said cut, like I knew that we probably got it right, you know, like I, mm -hmm. I could trust her, but definitely. The days that I was not in front of the camera, my job was so much easier and I could eat with the crew, et cetera. Like the days that I was in front of the camera, it was very draining and I, I just couldn't relax the way everyone else was doing. I just had to be rehearsing in my room and like not, mm. you know. Sure. Um, so, so yeah, there was definitely a difference and I much rather direct and write and produce than have it to be in front of the camera. Although I, I like it, but it definitely takes more from me. I, I'm not, the, not that kind of person. Mm -hmm. Did you have similar feelings, Maggie, sort of seeing yourself edited into the film? It's definitely hard being in front of the camera, but I, it just made the most sense, I guess. It's really even hard watching, going to see the film and seeing yourself. It's like really intense, but I think it was important to capture it because it was what was happening yeah. at that time and that moment. And um, it was just what it was. Right. So I, yeah, I had to do it. Um, 
that way. I, you know, the, 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 the thing that, the kind of underlying thing that I'm very curious about, because I feel like these worlds are coming closer into contact is the world of film and the world of visual art making. I mean, they've always had crossover people, but I'm curious if that's something you perceive, like, do you, do you see a distinction in your practice, Amalia, or do you kind of see that it's just different ways of expressing similar concerns, basically, right? Like whether it's concerns about what's true and what's not true or about the self in different narratives. It, if, you know, I'm, I'm just curious how you see feature film is so weighted, you know, and in a funny way, maybe it doesn't need to be. Well, the biggest difference, uh, because a lot of people ask me this and the answer is kind of boring, but it's like very realistic and it's definitely true, is that the art world is extremely unregulated for good and bad, you know? You know, bad would freer. be like galleries not paying, like etc. Sure. Like not not being able to hold anyone accountable. There's no unions, whatever you right. name it. But at the same time, you can do whatever the fuck you want, and it could be an artwork, and that's it. The problem with filmmaking when you're making a feature film and there's more people involved is very like the legal part of it is very stiff, and you have to like be very responsible with every sound that you use, with every image that you use, etc. So I feel like that's the main difference between video art yeah. and the freedom that it has, that you can do whatever, pull from everywhere and like whatever, like it just has to be good, you know, and like that's it. Um, whereas when you're making a film, you have to really make sure that everything is paid for it. And I think that's like a very uh, big distinction, especially if you come from like making art online, and just grabbing things around and like downloading things and like putting them together, you know, and like suddenly having to deal with all that level of um, like legality and like dealing with lawyers and stuff is like, I think what makes a big difference um, in how you prepare for it too, you sure. know, like how like you have ideas or something for a film, you have to start from like a different place where like you have to make everything from scratch. Whereas with video art or whatever you, I think you can be more free with your sources. And, and were there aspects of the film that were improvisational? Uh, everything was uh, scripted. I mean, that's how I'm working now with writing film too. I generally, what I do is like, I, I watch the film in my head from beginning to end with all the edits and everything. Like I, and I decide if I like it or not. <laughs> it's like a internal Netflix sort of thing, you sure. know? Um, and then when, and then I write it down, but I kind of write it down for the purpose of shooting it in a way. Um, and then obviously you like watch the dailies and see what's working, what's not working. And so there's like only like very few moments are like improvised, but it was like after analyzing what we've been shooting, like, oh, we might need a bit more of this or a bit more of that or like, um, so yeah, I mean, there was a, band, a few of that, like especially in regards of my mom's acting, but she's not a professional. So I think that's when I really did my job as a director was to like, how do I make it straight? How do I, you know, make this good with what we have, like what mm -hmm. we need to add? Like, um, so yeah, but there's like basically like only two improvised or like unscripted more than improvised unscripted scenes. And um, you mentioned a, a, a new film. So you haven't yet been totally turned off to the, to the 
possibility of film through the bureaucracy. You're still, you're still excited. Oh, I love it. You love it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's very embarrassing. I love the, the, the most worrying part of the meeting. I, I thrive on it. All the paperwork and like all that stuff. I, I the formal stuff. It. And mm -hmm. is it, is this, is it, is it, is it a longer narrative of film as well? Or is it something more experimental? Can you even talk about it? I can talk about it. Yeah. I mean, I'm working on a feature film that is definitely going to be like a traditionally. Distributed film. film yes. Yeah. Um, but again, I'm trying to introduce more uh, elements from like video art in it, in the edit, or like even the quality of the film that we're using and mm -hmm. like the video that we're using. But it's definitely like in its structure, like a traditional film. And then um, working on that, and then I'm working on some more like video works for like galleries. And um, and then I'm working on like a TV show. Maggie, what, what about you? What are you currently working on? I'm currently, so I just um, finished like two shows, two installations with the Whitney and... Mm -hmm. Now I'm working on my solo show coming up um, with Jenny's Gallery. Sure, here. yeah. And then I just started showing with Ink Eye, um, Electronic Arts Intermix. So um, working on the show with them, and that's coming up in a few months in the fall. It was really nice to hear about your um, projects that are upcoming, forthcoming. Um, and I just wanted to thank you both for, for coming on and, and talking about what you're working on. And also again, to congratulate you, Amalia, on this first feature film. And I'm very excited. Is there a specific release date yet? Or is it sooner than that? It's sooner than I, that I would want to like, it feels like it's gonna, it's gonna come very soon. Yeah. Uh, That's great. Yeah. That's great. Dialogues is produced by David Zwerner. You can find out more about the artists on this series by going to davidswarner.com slash dialogues. And if you liked what you heard, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. It really does help other people discover the show. I'm Lucas Warner. Thanks so much for listening, and I hope you join us again next time.